0: Welcome to the Lemonade Principle, a podcast for students and anyone interested in hearing from inspirational people from around the world. I'm Chris Roberts, and this week I speak with Shirin Jirami, or Shirs as she's known to her friends. Shirin's story is nothing short of amazing, and I thoroughly enjoyed speaking to her for the podcast. Shirin is a triathlete and the first woman to represent Iran in the sport of triathlon at the World Championships. We talk about her journey leading up to that moment and her passion, drive, and refusal to give up on what other people tell her is impossible is truly inspirational. She's a real adventurer, and we discuss how an expedition to Antarctica before starting university had a big influence on her life and mindset, and how making an impact and opening doors for women in sport is a driving factor in her career and plans for the future. I really enjoyed my conversation with Sharon, and I hope this episode helps to rewrite your definition of the word impossible. Enjoy the podcast. Hi everyone, welcome back to the podcast. I'm really pleased today to be joined by Shiz Garami. Hi Shiz. Hello. How are you?
1: I'm good, thank you.
0: Good, good. Um, so thank you for joining me on the podcast, first of all.
1: Thank you can... for having me.
0: You're very welcome. Um, why don't we start by maybe you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about yourself.
1: Well, my name is Shiz Gurami or Garami, um and I have become known as a triathlete, the first female triathletes of Iran which is rather hilarious um, and I went to Durham for university I did my undergrads at Durham and that's where I started my triathlon internship <laughs>
0: <laughs> Well, thank you for that um, so why don't we start there then at your time at Durham so I'm right in thinking that you studied PPE
1: I did study PPE yes
0: So maybe you could tell us a bit about that. Why PPE um, and go from there?
1: Well, I applied to study natural sciences at Durham. And uh, the reason being is because I really could not make up my mind what to study. Um, During my A-levels, my teacher sat me down and my school teacher sat me down and said, would you want to be when you grow up? And I said, well, I'd like to be a doctor and a lawyer and a politician all at the same time. And he said, oh, you have to decide. And then I had to pick three A-levels. I couldn't decide, so I ended up doing eight and any extracurricular I could just to keep my options open. And then the only reason I... um chose to do natural sciences was because i figured i could you know do everything and you know it still keeps my options open i can still go into medicine after that and just study all uh, all the other subjects i'd like to study Mm -hmm. um and then it just after i got my a-level results i was accepted into this expedition to the antarctic which i had not been planning on doing and I wasn't really expecting to be accepted on it Mm. and it was just you know such a great opportunity that I thought I should just call up Durham and defer my entry and during that time like I'd been talking to people etc and I kind of decided that maybe I should study PPE just because I'd never studied anything close to literature or politics, philosophy, economics. And I was completely oblivious of the world. And I thought, well, if I didn't do it now, then I'd forever remain oblivious. Because all of my subjects have predominantly been science and physics and languages and like design and these sort of things. So I called up Durham and I said well I'm you know due to come this year but is it okay if I deferred my entry because this opportunity's come up and they said sure and I said "Um, I'm not sure if I'm allowed to share this but I shall anyhow. (laughs) By the way um, you know I I was I, I hadn't been to Durham before I applied and I just said open college and I was put into Josephine Butler and I visited Durham afterwards and I just realized I would not like to be in Josephine Butler self-catered at the top of the hill I just wanted a closer knit community so I said oh and now that I'm deferring my entry would it be possible to change college and choose St Chad's instead and they said oh okay okay and then I said there's just one other thing Uh, would it be okay if I changed my subject from natural sciences to PPE and they were like, you realize it's completely different. And I said, I do, I do. Why didn't you just reapply? They said, I said, <laughs> well, wow, you know, it's just so much fun. And then they just accepted my, my changes and I went off to the Antarctic, which was an amazing, amazing, amazing experience. And so the year after I come to St. Chad's in Durham, to study PPE and I'm extremely excited about it. And, um, and, you know, like first year for everyone, it's like a fresher, everyone's, you know, just putting in the minimal effort, et cetera. But for me, everything was so new. Like I'd never written, believe it or not. And like growing up, I would jumped from one school system to another, so I didn't have your normal schooling system. So I'd never studied history, I'd never studied geography, nothing like philosophy, politics. I'd never written an essay before, believe it or not. Mm. And um, and I'm like spending weeks and weeks trying to do these really s- supposedly simple essays. So much so that I remember, and all of my friends to this day laugh laugh at me about this, that i'd put so much heart into this one essay and I, and it was about the leviathan but i went on a tangent and like i and associated associated it to levitating etc i don't know what was going through my mind at the time and the um the cheetah calls me up and says i really wanted to talk to you about this essay and I kind of go in like with full confidence, thinking, oh my god, like I've spent so much time into this. He's going to be so impressed. He just wants to tell me how amazing this is. And then I go and like we were um meeting at I forget the name of the the cafe, anyhow. We um and then I'm like kind of going though with full confidence and kind of waiting for his praises to come through. And he's like, so I just wanted to make sure that this was like a, you know, all night, na- all nighter, pull off something that you just winged in a couple of hours because oh. it was so poor that I'm only giving you a 40 for you to pass. Otherwise, it really doesn't even deserve that. Oh. <laughs> and I was like, but what do you mean? You just you can't understand. It's so good. I put so much effort into this anyways like this is how i started off in durham and for the first year or two i really wiped my ass off trying to um trying to catch up and many such you know um eye-opening moments with various tutors them completely boggled that i have so little knowledge um
0: (laughs) It's it's a bit of a sidebar, uh, but can we go back to uh, the Antarctic? I'm kind of interested to find out what it was you did there.
1: Well, it was with uh, what was at the time called the BSES, British School Expedition Society, run by the um, Royal Geographic Society. And okay. they take youth um, ages 18 to 27 or something, On expeditions as a means of leadership and growth, and they have done amazing work and I have been so privileged to have been with them on that trip. They actually did the Arctic and the Antarctic for two years only. It was so complicated that they've stopped those programs, but they take people into different places now. Mm -hmm. And research institutes and universities and other bodies fund these programs. And in return, we go and try and collect scientific data for them. And at the time, I was, you know, like a scientist going into medicine, Mm -hmm. natural sciences. so It was all up my street. Um, But it also makes you question the validity of the data collected, because I for sure know that the data I collected was definitely not that accurate. (laughs) um but um so we went I mean it's definitely one of the most life-changing experiences I've ever been through Mm. and I would actually argue that um indirectly it probably led to my future journey as an athlete um and one of the Of the many things that happened, one of the things that really became a life philosophy for me of that trip is that, you know, it was a three-month trip. Uh, We sailed from the Falklands to South Georgia, and then we were meant to go to the Antarctic. Uh, The the, the ship broke down, and we were on, like, tiny 40-footer yachts trying to cross the rough seas. Long story short... Um, it was rough and we were camping and it was cold and I had non-freezing cold injuries Um, and we were on ration packs and like trying to be very good with like what we can and can't eat and it's physical and it's cold Um, and you've got like your fur seals everywhere they look cute in pictures but they really aren't up close and you have to continuously, like, battle them with your poles and, like, try and find yourself a little place to pee whilst everyone is, like, in circles around you trying to battle off the fur seals. And it's because it's super territorial. <laughs> yeah,
0: <laughs> you sound like a bit of an adventure.
1: And, Anyways, and then on the last day, South Georgia is, um, used to be a huge whaling hub. And the Norwegians had set up these whaling huts that are now completely abandoned, but used by travellers. And we came across this hut, and after like weeks of being intense and cold, and not being able to dry out your clothes, and not having a comfortable wee or anything, suddenly you have this roof underneath your head and bunk beds and someone had left logs by the fireplace and it was Twixmas. Someone had written happy Christmas with like Scrabble um, pieces and left chocolate and like their extra ration packs that they weren't going to need after that. And it was just such joy to have those creature comforts all of a sudden. And we were all so ecstatic with joy and Pat, our leader, our expedition leader, stopped us and said, "Just appreciate what how you're feeling and what is the cause um, of you feeling this happy." And when we leave this hut, make sure that you leave it in a state that is as good so that the next travelers also get the same feeling of comfort and happiness that you guys just gained. And if you can find a way to even improve on that, then do it for the next travelers. And that really has become a life philosophy metaphor for me. Mm. Um, Anyways, I came to Durham, (laughs) Mm. (laughs) and I had an absolutely amazing time in Durham.
0: that's good to know. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm, all right, I'm thinking you started triathlon by joining the Triathlon Society.
1: Yeah, so the way that came about is I think I either came across them first year, second year in the freshers week and the stalls of all the societies going around. I didn't even know what a triathlon was like the first time I set my eyes in it, I was like, oh, what's this? Oh, boy, it's, you know, far higher than my physical ability like I'm not I may have gone to the Antarctic but I am not I wasn't a um, athletic person in any way or form. Um, Rowing is huge in Durham and I entered you know just you know college rowing just for fun Um, and then the second year I was in a really good boat I was actually with St Cuthbert's Rowing Club. And, you know, we had an awesome time together. But then most of the people in my boat graduated. They were the year above me. And so for third year, I was like, oh, you know, I don't want to go through having to find good boatmates again and don't know how to don't know what to do, etc. And then I just been eyeing this triathlon Uh, club for a while and thinking oh I really would like to give it a go but I don't think I can like second year I went there for like a taster session and then was just too intimidated and never went back and third year I thought you know what if I don't do it now then I'll never do it so I went um and you know I borrowed my housemate's bike um, I had barely swum before I only learnt to swim um two years ago at school um and I was like literally just trying to not drown and And I actually did my first two k run two years prior to that, and that was I remember like such a huge exertion for me and um so like i 'm not kidding when I said i 'm not athletic. <laughs> <laughs> and I went to the, the to the sessions, and I was like being dropped left, right, and center, eating everyone's dust. Not even because by the time I caught up, the dust had all settled. And um, you know, like they and the only reason I kept going back was because I fell in love with the people. I you know there was just such an amazing cohort of people. They're so supportive, so amazing. And it was just for the love of them I went back, and definitely um, fear of the training, but I just did it just to be with those guys whom I loved.
0: Right? <laughs> Could you see a career coming Absolutely from there? Absolutely
1: that- no way in my wildest dreams. And
0: so I mean, your first your first triathlon was in twenty eleven, is that? So right? my
1: first triathlon was actually. Uh, one of the girls, Gail, at, um, tri- at the tri club. I mean, th- they were all very good athletes. Um, yeah. They were discussing amongst themselves in the changing in the swimming pool changing room of this race that they signed up, and they were all kind of really excited about it. And I think, out of kindness and politeness, she just and you know, just to wanting to make me. F- feel not left out she said oh you know we're doing that race you know should you wish to do it and I said oh, okay I'll do it no idea what I signed up signed up for and then they were like oh okay she, she just wants to do it too and then like I you know and I don't deem much research before I say fine I'll do it I just as I said wing things and I and mean, then it was kind of like coming up to the race. And I'm like, what did I, by the way, sign up to? And it was a half Ironman. And I'd, you know, never done the distances before. And, it, and I was petrified when I figured out what it actually was that I was required to do. And um, I, I literally did, very nearly did not show up to the race. Um, but, and the only, the one and only reason I, um, I showed up was because my friends are going to be there and I'm only going to be there because they are there. And I'd feel like I can't check in out now. So, so close to the race. And then when I went to the, to the start line on, on the race day, I thought, well, there's absolutely no way that I can do this. Um, but um let's just just because i don't want to let my friends down and i've come all the way for them i'm just going to start breaststroking the swim because i was still not very comfortable uh front crawling i could breaststroke, but that was it and um and then you know and then there's the the cutoff time so like if you can't do the swim and say i can't remember what the cutoff was for that race but like for 40 minutes then they'll fish you out of the water and say sorry game over and I said okay I'll just you know start breaststroking leisurely and then they'll fish me out and I'd be like at least I tried guys I'll look them in the face and said you know (laughs) at least I tried but then you know I breaststroked my way around and no one and and I got out and no one stopped me and I was like oh well that's strange well I'll just start spinning on my bike and surely at one point they're going to say game over. But um, you know that didn't happen, and then I did one, um, did the run, and I finished the race in a relatively not too bad of a time. And it was again another moment of, do you know what? We give up um, f- we give up things before we've actually given it at all in so many circumstances in life. Most of the time we don't even turn up to the start line to begin with to even give it a try and it again became another metaphor for life of you know you don't give up until you've actually given it your all um, so yeah that was my first race and I do think it was in 2011 although I'm very bad at remembering dates
0: <laughs> what's amazing about that though is fast forward I think what two years and you're then competing in the world. Well,
1: not because of my uh, physical prowess, I'll give you that.
0: <laughs> so I mean, well, let's get into that now. Then um, you are the first woman to represent Iran in the sport yes. triathlon. Yes. Yeah. So congratulations <laughs> on that. That's an unbelievable achievement. Uh, how did that come about? Can you tell us a little bit about that?
1: Um, I'll backtrack a little bit, and I would go back to Durham again. And I would tell you that when I was in Durham, actually, one of the things that was consistent with me throughout my various career fantasy changes was that I really wanted to to serve. Whatever it is that I do, I want it to be in service, be it um, a lawyer working in war-torn countries, you know, being this gallivant lawyer China. Um, you know fight for the right of those deprived or whatever fancy thoughts I had Mm -hmm. in my head Um, or like a doctor working with medicine without borders or you know whatever it was and one of the biggest things one of my biggest goals actually was to one day work for the UN it was like my my thing and when in Durham, one of the ex-Chadzians, he provided an opportunity for a number of Chadsians to go and work in Kosovo for the UN. And through that, I got an internship with the UNDP in Kosovo for three months, and a bunch of us went, all working in different departments. And it was one of the biggest blows to my career fantasies because from my experience there working in the UN was nothing like I imagined it to be the the UN as an organization was nothing as I had fantasized it to be Um, and it came as a blow that it was imperfect and it was you know so many flaws in it and you know I just created this this god of a thing which just crumbled down and it and it really broke my heart and it took me a while to kind of overcome this heartache um, but I think one of the things I want to say is doing things and failing at it is actually one of the greatest ways of learning what you want or what you don't want and that kind of Made me think, well, I really don't want to be working for charities again. I really don't want to be working for the UN, which was my ultimate dream. After Durham, I then went and worked in what was called a venture philanthropy. So it was my ideal, what I thought would be my ideal in the sense that. Um, it worked with charities to turn them into social enterprises, so that they can become independent, so that they can have the resources and the networks and the money needed to do the to, to 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 carry out the work that they think is necessary. Because I just feel that in charity, so much time and effort is spent writing reports for donors and like trying to make things work in a way that a donor wants. Rather than the work that actually needs to be done, um, And so it was kind of my ideal thing that I wanted to do, but with a bit of time, I realized that actually, even this module isn't good enough for me. Um, and you know there were so many flaws and imperfections that again broke my heart. And so then I thought, do you know what? I'm just going to go into the corporate world. And I started and just learn how the world works and business works, and you know, try and approach making a difference, serving effectively through through another angle. Um, and then it was kind of in that transition. And after moving to to, to London, after Durham, I joined the 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 local triathlon club again it was for the love of the people the weekends away we'd have together having a ball of a time pool parties and I don't know like you know so much fun with a little bit of a trail run which was the excuse of going there or like a little triathlon or whatever it was um and then with that group of friends we were kind of discussing and it's London it's so multicultural uh, we were discussing, like, all the different countries, um, people from the different countries sat around the table and someone was saying, yeah, I'm going to represent France. The The World Championships rotates every year, but that year it was going to be in London. And someone said, oh, I'm going to represent uh, France, and the other person said New Zealand, and the other person said Australia and whatnot. And, you know, towards the end, someone, as a joke, laughed and said, oh, you've got, you know, some uh Iranian background, you you would you represent Iran and we all laughed and said well that's not going to be possible and we went our way but I kind of got home that night and thought you know why did you laugh at it and say it was impossible when you don't actually know um, mm-hmm. and for and it all started with a laugh you know nothing was serious about it and so I actually did some research and figured, actually, there is a triathlon club, in Iran, a triathlon federation in Iran, and I hadn't even known this. And I thought, well, it, you know, doesn't hurt just sending an email saying, hey, you know, I I'm, I'm, I live in London, I'm Iranian, and would it be possible to represent you? And And I received the answer that I expected, which was, no, we don't support women in triathlons, and goodbye. But kind of having that tangible evidence if it were rather than me thinking it's not possible in a way brought me back to that wailing hut in the Antarctic Um, Mm. that you know what is it that gives you so much joy and how would you leave it for other people to enjoy it and Suddenly looking back, and it had been like a year, two years that I'd been doing triathlons at that point, and it had changed my life so positively, it had impacted my health, mental, social well-being in a way that I'd never ever thought possible. And I thought, had I actually been a girl living and growing up in Iran, I would have to this date still wouldn't have known what a triathlon was and I would have never even dreamed of doing a triathlon Um, and why not share that why not share the joy with other women and so you know I I slept in it for a couple of days and then I sent a reply you know like a three-pager of why I think it's important and why youth would benefit from this. And on an international um scene, you know, sports is a world where all humans come together in harmony, speaking the same language of tears, laughter, and hard work. And why not be part of this all together? Um, and the conversation started from there. And it was a six-month of toing and froing, email after email. And one of the things that for Iran is super important is that by law all women have to cover, and therefore if you're representing Iran, you have to cover. And so one of the reasons, so I asked them, just give me some of the reasons why it's not possible. And they said, well, there's no way you can do a triathlon and abide to the dressing code, to the dress code. And I said, if that is the only reason, then give me some time to figure this out. And, you know, I don't cover it in my personal life. And I've just been going in like tr- normal trisuits to that point. But I thought it's going to be such an easy fix. Just go into a shop, get some covered clothes and ta But it was actually so much more complicated and it was really hard to find something that was performance-worthy, that you wouldn't overheat in, that wouldn't, like, flap and, you know, drown you in the water and whatnot. Um, And, uh, well, on one hand, comply with the ITU, the International Triathlon Union Regulation, and they've got a ton of them, and at the same time, comply with Iran's um, federations uh, requirements, and um, and so kind of so that kind of led me into let me just find a solution. And it also brought me back to that first um, triathlon I did with my uni friends. That you know it felt impossible. I really, really, really didn't think I could do it. But it was like mm. every day I was about to give up, I said, the start line, the start line being, you know, 13th of September, 15th of September, whenever that race was, is still a few months away. And you're going to give up your all until the start line. And you're not going to just back off mm. and think it's impossible without actually giving it your all. Yeah.
0: Am I um, right in thinking that the paperwork actually came through it did. the day before the race? Which must it's unbelievably,
1: unbelievably stressful for me, for the event organisers, for the ITU, for everyone involved, yeah. for the for the for the, for, for the federation itself, for the sport ministry in Iran. You know everything together.
0: Yeah, but I mean, how did it feel? Nothing. Nothing line?
1: short of a miracle kind of just... is is really the true feeling. It, um, I mean. When I was and like at one point uh, after like email after email and I couldn't um, get, you know, and at one point they just, you know, they're just trying to starting to not answer my emails, et cetera, hoping that I'd ultimately give up. And so I actually went to Iran in person and I went knocking on the door and saying, hey, you know, I'm that crazy girl who just won't stop emailing you and um and then from there it was you know running from one office to another from one department to the other going into a uh into, into a clothes workshop to try and make the clothes that would ultimately get their consent etc um, and it was so high stress and everyone from like close friends and families to the authorities to like any random person who'd hear the story, they'd be like, this is absolutely impossible. Like, don't even think about it. And the day after the race, the first headline that came out of Iran um, Quoted by someone who had told me, like, don't even think about this. It was the, it was the, um, at the time, the deputy minister of sports. Um, and the title read in one of like the biggest national newspapers, The Impossible Was Made Possible. And just.
0: And the President he tweeted, did tweeted for you. but that
1: that headline itself just sent shivers up my spine because that really was what I was mm. trying. It was a very personal journey. I really wanted to know you know where we're told all these grand, beautiful quotes of inspiration like there's no such thing as impossible when there's a will, there's a way, and all these things are they true you know <laughs> you know it's 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 one thing about saying or writing these quotes but when it actually comes to action is it true and this is what I really wanted to explore I really like I knew that if I did not get that permission for the rest of my life I would look at myself and say well there is such a thing as impossible and I really wanted to take it to the next stage of my life and believe wholeheartedly that there really is no such thing as impossible
0: And I know you've mentioned to me before that um, your focus now is on impactful (laughs)
1: races well so here's the thing I mean I didn't go to the world champs in London because I was this really budding amazing athlete hidden talent that no one had discovered me far from it I came second to last I think um and I mean of the long list of all the things I've always wanted to do, to do in life, sports never came close, you know, the tiniest bit of making the make, making the cut. It was just never on my agenda. Um, and I had no intention whatsoever of continuing as an athlete. I, I mean, I didn't do that to become an athlete. I was just doing it as a side, you know, as as a side, whilst my main thing was still my my job in London and wanting to move on to the corporate world. Um but after yeah. that race it was so positive and the reaction to it was so much it was just like beyond anything I'd ever thought. You know, I really was had not been expecting any of this. It was just such a personal journey. I didn't yeah. think it would amplify so much in the international world. Um, And then and what I really wanted off the back of that was, you know, if they give permission to me, this random shiz girl, then it means that this permission, because it's from the government, because it's from the authorities, it's then um, granted to all women. Um, And it initially was, but then afterwards, they said, actually, it's still really sensitive. And therefore will allow you to continue racing but this isn't going to be for all women in Iran and that to me was like well that's a little despite the point I was still you know I was I was racing regardless of your permission because I live in the UK and I don't really have to represent Iran Um, Mm. and so I kind of thought what if I continued um, doing triathlons continued representing Iran continued racing in relatively important races if i can get the permission and um with that the sensitivities would work themselves out and we'll come to solutions and we'll you know and with time everyone can do this um and 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 it's still ongoing you know it's five years on if not more i don't want to (laughs) count and um i suppose I was kind of like tethering between: Do I put my everything in becoming the best athlete I can possibly be? Um, to sh- to, and and I really wanted to to show because you know everyone questions this. If you and it's true, it's it's it breaks my heart, and this is one of the reasons I do this. But if you're in a race course and you see someone who looks different. Be it because they're covering up, or because they have some something about them that's not um, that's different to the st- to, to the majority of the people. Everyone's going to give them a little patronising clap on the back and say, "Oh, well done, well done, you for participating," you know. But what is it? Just because they look different, just because there's something different about them, why should that patronising pat on the back? Uh, you know, why not say there is equal as equal um, as their peers? You know, she might be covered, but she can still be on that podium just because she's covered doesn't make her less capable, less strong, less competitive, less competent. Mm um or you know whatever that 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 difference might be you know we we're all different we're all you know to the to the down to the very fingerprints down to our genes we're all extremely different and yet we're all extremely similar so um mm. a part of me really wanted to be a really good athlete and show that regardless of all these layers that I'm wearing I can still be as confident as my peers Mm-hmm. um but at the other on the other hand like to be an athlete is this super one-dimensional focused no room for um no room for error no room for like experimentations with other things and my personality, like I wanted to be a lawyer and a medicine and an and an astronaut and a, you know so many things, you know, and all of a sudden what just an athlete? What did you mean? So like I was struggling with that personally. But then the the, the um yeah. the uh the cause was still extremely dear to my heart. So in the end I thought maybe yeah. what would be more in tune with my character is to start racing in places that actually makes a difference so for example in communities or in demographies or in countries that for a woman to do sports isn't as so isn't a big social norm and if they see me do it and see me looking similar to them and maybe like wearing clothes that they would consider wearing rather than clothes that is a completely different world to them. And and in a way, kind of mm. sowing the seeds that you can respect your beliefs, you can respect the things that are important to you, whatever it may be, is it your family, your community, your culture, your religion, and still benefit from sports still reap the the social the mental and the health benefits that it, that comes with it and so this is what i hope to to kind of guide myself towards
0: yeah so, I mean, I know that you're, it sounds like you're really interested in making an impact and making a difference. And one of the things that you mentioned you're, you're looking at at the moment is well, um, your own clothes. Uh, line.
1: <laughs> Unfortunately, it's more words than actually action. Um, Over the past, I mean, from, from the day that I decided to represent Iran, I realised that actually clothes do make a big difference and right now everything is catered for that person who's happy to wear the skimpiest of clothes possible you know like he, a, a a um a tri suit is basically a swimwear sometimes with a bit of you know a, a, a half a legging um and you have to be comfortable wearing these clothes in a huge crowd of people prancing about swimming cycling running hanging about, finish line, Um, and a lot of women are happy to do that and a lot of women aren't, you know, be it religiously, be it body confidence issues, be it sun protection, be it, you know, 101 reasons, Um, and why, therefore, make sports into something that's so monocultural? why not find a solution that everyone would be comfortable hanging around that finish line, wearing whatever it is that is within their comfort zone? And um, it's you know, and it's been a dream, been a dream to to create a line of clothes to cater for this. From my own racing, I've always had to custom make my own clothes, but taking that leap, I mm. still haven't had the faith perhaps to take that leap of actually creating that line and I've talked about it but I hope that one day will come to fruition.
0: Yeah well, I'm, I'm from from hearing your story I'm, I'm sure it will <laughs> at some point nothing seems to have stopped you so far. Um, so I mean going back to the, to the start really I mean one of the things that I'm really interested in this podcast goes to a lot of students um, who might be in the classroom kind of thinking about their, their careers and you've had a really unexpected career path I mean you joined a university society whilst you were doing your degree, and you ended up having a career in triathlons, which is what that society was. I mean, what would you say about that to people in the classroom? Is it just a case of I would say taking opportunities?
1: just try out everything. You know, the things that you think you're going to hate, try them out because you'd be surprised. The things that you think you're going to love, try them out because you're going to be surprised. For the things that you're absolutely clueless about, try them out because you're going to learn so much from them. And I'm a big believer, a huge believer, that everything happens for a reason, and there's no way you can plan in advance.: I mean, I mean, we're living in this is being recorded during the coronavirus. How many plans, grand plans did we have, to, you know over the summer? And none of them are going to happen. You know, so many like buying a house, doing this, doing that. A lot of them aren't going to be possible. As an athlete, you know, that's really going to impact my career. I can't swim at the moment. I can't train at the, train properly at the moment. How is that going to affect my career going forward? I have no idea. But just take things as they are everything happens for a reason and just see the positive of them and allow the universe to guide you in the most unexpected places
0: mm. which i think is really good advice uh, to be fair so I mean, why don't we talk about your i know you've had quite a bit of success recently um you I did. recently won the middle east championship Hi, <laughs> thanks congratulations can you talk about that for a little while? I mean, does. does that make you qualified for the so, world championships? So, first
1: right? of all, there are several ways of racing, and you know, just to uh, just to go back to my previous point, I am no hidden talent waiting to be discovered. This was um, the, the Middle the Middle East Championships takes it, takes place in Bahrain, and there are two ways of racing in a professional field or in what is called an age group field, i.e. a non-professional field. Um, I won the age group field. um, And that was won through all the Middle Easterns, right? So I didn't win the race globally. I won the race in the Middle East category. But it meant so much to me because as I said, it was so important for me to show that you can wear whatever, be whoever, and still get on that podium. And that personally was something that I tried so Mm. hard to prove. And I think it was something that showed. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, it meant a lot. And also it was kind of off the back of that, me thinking nothing is ever good enough you know fine I mean five years ago to have thought I'd be winning the Middle East champs title um that would have been way beyond my imagination today I'd kind of look at it and say actually it really wasn't that big of an effort come on you know who you can who are you going to kid Um, you know you need to win the world champs and then when you win the world champs you need to win the pro category and when you win the pro category then you need to do that and it's never ending it is never ending and for me it was a maybe let's start to think about the the bigger picture and the other things that you would like to do for example racing with an impact racing with an impact isn't necessarily going to be racing in I don't know and you know like being the best in a world championship but it could have more impact given what you're passionate about another athlete will have a very different Mm. passion and maybe for them it would be to win the world champs but you know you need to know what your personalities are what your strengths are and what you want your impact to be so yeah
0: yeah, I mean, I was going to ask about your plans for the future, but you've already mentioned that we're currently living through the coronavirus pandemic. I mean, what your guess is, is as good it's as mine. <laughs> mm, yeah. So, so, the, wo- so the up World until July, all, all year,
1: races yeah? have been cancelled, which is very difficult for all athletes yeah. because a lot of people make a living out of this. And also, like, it's so hard to train when you don't know what you're training for. Um. The World Champs is in November. Whether it's going to take place or not, I think everything's unfolding. For now it is, but who knows? It's going to be interesting because athletes are going to be coming from all parts of the world, some who've been in lockdown for months with no ability to train. You know, the degrees of lockdown is going to look very differently to different people and therefore how they've trained or not trained therefore it would be interesting i don't know if it's going to take place and i don't know if it's going to be a level playing field just because everyone's just coming from such different opportunities
0: yeah yeah well fingers crossed thank good look with it if it does if it does take place so i mean i guess to wrap up have you got anything else you'd like to say i need any other i think i've talked like way to too much to already anyone listening <laughs> honestly it's been a pleasure speaking to you I appreciate
1: you having me thank you very much cheers
0: cheers to thank you very much I want to say another big thank you to Sharon for joining me this week her story is amazing and I'm delighted to have the chance to share it with you from travelling to Antarctica and bringing back a desire to bring joy to others, to proving everyone that tells her she can't do something wrong, Sharon is a real inspiration and a pioneer in the work that she does. It's really clear that she lives her message to never give up until you've given it your all. Sharon has built a career around a society she joined in her final year at university, and she's gone on to have an impact that she couldn't have predicted. There's a lesson there for anyone in or out of the classroom to take every opportunity and try out as much as you can because you just don't know where it might take you. As she says throughout, there's no such thing as impossible. I want to congratulate Sharon again on her win in the Middle Eastern Championships and wish her good luck from everyone at Durham in the World Championships if they do go ahead later this year. As always, thanks for listening. I'm Chris Roberts, and I'll see you next time.